Hey guys, it's Rebecca. I just wanted to let you know, in case you didn't, that we recently launched my first fragrance. I'm so proud of it. I think the smell is amazing. I created it for you, for me, and uh, it doesn't actually involve any compromises. It's vegan, sulfate and phthalate free, cruelty free. My goal was to create something that marked all your milestone moments, but that didn't compromise your and others' health. And it's environmentally friendly with sustainable packaging. So head over to my website, RebeccaMinkoff.com, and check out my first fragrance. Hey, everyone. You're listening to Superwomen. This is Rebecca. Today's guest is Suzanne Lerner, the co-founder of Michael Stars. She started this company with her late husband, Michael, so many years ago. But what is more incredible is her philanthropic heart, the amount of give back she does, how she invests in women, and how she took something that was a passion and turned it into a purpose. This is Suzanne on Superwoman. Well, thank you so much, Suzanne, for joining me today. I would love for you to start with a little bit of a backstory. You know, when I first got my first Michael Starr shirt, I just, you know, assumed it was a man. And was so happy to learn it was you. So I'd love for you to kind of give me your history and how you how you started the brand, and and then we'll dive in. Sure, you know it is also a man. So my husband's name was Michael, and uh, we kind of organized this together. And from the beginning, I was a sales rep in the clothing industry, had a few showrooms around the country, and this very cute guy walked in one day with a South African accent with these screen printed t-shirts and it was Michael. And uh, within two weeks we were dating partners. So I recommend anybody ask the guy out on a date if you want to get, get somebody interested. So that's kind of how we started. And we realized we were very much alike because we cared about equality. We cared about making a difference to people. And we were both very much entrepreneurs. So I was running sales and merchandising and marketing and Michael kind of ran the company. So we had uh, equality there even in the company. Wow. And how many years ago was this? This is in 1986. Oh my gosh. So what was that experience like when you first launched? I mean, business, you know, I talk about business being so incredibly different only 15 years ago, but we're talking with you, you know, almost 25 if I could do the math correctly, maybe 30 years ago, what was it like launching? I'm assuming you didn't do the what people do now. I have to raise some VC money to start my company. I'd love to hear that journey. No, not at all. Uh, we had a great idea and Michael second mortgaged his home. So there was no VC money out there. There were no banks that were going to lend money to somebody who didn't have much in the background. He had had a successful business before in the fashion industry and I had a pretty good uh, repping business. And at the time, you know, people love new ideas and new products and we're willing to give people a chance. It's much tougher now. You have to have all the marketing, the e-com, the money backing you up. And uh, we just kind of went out the door and I showed it to my clients and my customers and they got excited. I mean, our first season, we sold Barney's, Theodore, Fred Siegel, Bloomingdale's. We kind of shot up really quickly. So it was really fun. But after two years, it wasn't so exciting anymore. We said, what are we going to do next? So we came up with the idea of garment dyed t-shirts, which we had already been doing with our screen prints. So I already had a connection with a really wonderful American-owned factory in Pennsylvania. 
And we, I did a 30 color color card. I mean, I, I could have done 40 colors if somebody had asked me. Um, and that's how we started. And that's why we came up with that one size. It was just easy at the time. And it was a rib net. And it, again, it, it took off. So there's been a lot of cycles in our career where you kind of like go have the ups and downs. You, you have great product and you know, I'm sure what that's like. You have a great season and then the next season it might be tougher. And we've gone through a lot of reincarnations to last the length we have. And I think it's because I really do understand what the woman wants to wear. I really do get her taste level. So then we came up with these garment dye t-shirts and then our shine t-shirt, which is probably the first t-shirt you bought. And we've been able to remain consistent and have a loyal following. I love that, you know, you touched upon the fact that you were great at sales. And I feel like people, so many people have great products and then it comes to them talking about themselves and their line and they, they falter. So what do you think that magic ingredient has been that's made you such a good seller? Because to get into Barney's and all the stores you named, uh, first season is like everyone's dream. And then, you know, I never got into Barney's despite, you know, how, however many meetings I had with them. So what, what do you think that sauce is outside of the secret sauce of being you, your uniqueness? Passion. I think, you know, Rebecca, you've got that. And uh, the people that do are believed. And uh, I, I think at times were different than too. They were willing to take on smaller people. Times were very, very different for us. So we were, we were lucky to get in the door. I think it was different. It was unique. It was something they didn't see before. And we told a story about it. And it could have been Michael and I together as that duo that just had that type of personality. He was the same like me, very enthusiastic and warm. And we had integrity and we believed in our product. So belief is a big part of that. If you don't believe in what you're doing, you're not going to convince anybody else. Totally. I think it all starts with that, that conviction that you have internally, and then people can feel that. So mm-hmm. how did you keep the business fresh? Because you said, you know, after two years, you got bored, so you came up with your next product. But how do you feel like you keep things fresh even right now? You no, know, times are so interesting now. Uh, after the recession 10 years ago, we kind of reframed the company. Instead of just doing t-shirts, we went into sportswear. And we did sweaters and outerwear and accessories. And that did well for us so that we expanded our product range. And now it's interesting because of COVID and what people really want. We've actually reduced the number of styles. We've reduced the amount of products that we have in our brand. We're doing more casual and it's made things a little bit easier. It's been this like new strategy of what do we do next? And uh, we, this has happened, I think, along the way. It keeps happening. You do have to constantly reinvent yourself. I'd say every five years, you've got to think about what's going to be your next plan down the road. And we just somehow or another come up with it. And like I said, I have this idea of what people really want to wear. And our business is actually incredible. I and mean, we are up 100% in our business this year, in our e-com business. Wow. And uh, our specialty stores that are slowly coming back, they're excited about the product and realize that they get great quality. We're totally on trend, but we're not trendy where they can purchase something and in three years from now, they'll pull it out of their closet, still find it a valid color or body shape and something that they're going to continue to want to wear. So just that reinvention. And I think anybody that has a product and is an entrepreneur and coming up with a great idea, they've got to think of that next product down the road. Totally. What's next? Yep. A hundred percent. You can't, you can't sit back. I used to think you know, oh, when we achieve X in size, I'll be able to put my feet up and just daydream. 
<laughs> you and I know that's definitely not possible. <laughs> and, you know, Michael used to be like that. I mean, after the screen printed T-shirts, he's like, I said, Michael, nobody wants them anymore. He said, why? I love them. I said, nobody wants them anymore. So I had to convince him to do something else. Yeah. So it's with, I think within your own company, you have naysayers that don't believe you can do it or don't think you need it. And, and you have to have that conviction to convince them before it even goes to the public. Oh, for sure. How have you sort of evolved the company um, without Michael? Um, and, and what was that period like? That was really the biggest challenge for me. Michael had gotten sick. He had gotten cancer. And um, slowly over a period of time, I started taking over more of the day-to-day in the company, but we didn't really tell anybody what was happening. So after he passed away, I actually had a ton of skeptics in the company. I'm not going to say they were primarily men, but I will, that uh, didn't think about breaking down the walls and the silos and creating a real team environment. Now, I had worked in a lot of different jobs in my career, and I had a lot of different careers. So I really knew what I would have wanted in a boss and in a company. So I took those experiences and I framed them around what I thought would work for us. And uh, I said, come on, let's just try it. Let's break down the silos, see what happens. Have those morning huddles, those 10-minute meetings, and talk about what you each are doing for the day and get yourself set up for it. So at the end of a a month, uh, somebody came into my office and said, I have to admit I was such a naysayer, but you were totally right. So we've been continuing to break down the walls. I'm now that conduit between every single department. I feel like I'm a CMO, COO, CEO, doing running everything. But in a way, it's really good right now because I know everything that's happening in every area. I know what's happening in marketing and I know that e-com shot and how that dress should look. And then I go to the design team and they're working on a fitting and realizing that they've got to fit it a little bit differently. Um, and I can go to production and make sure that things are happening on that side too. So it's actually been really great. And that's all because of all the experiences I had working in a lot of different companies. So I wouldn't be a naysayer and say, go out on your own and not have any experience. It's nice to have that background. Yeah. Do you feel like um, having all those hats, like, you know, since COVID, I've had more hats than I ever imagined. And you just named a bunch. <laughs> uh, how do you stay sane having all those jobs? Or do you have any? Any uh, good tips for (laughs) multitasking? (laughs) I think you have to run with it and just know how lucky you are to have this opportunity. And I have to admit, I don't have kids now. And um, I live by myself with my, my dog. And I don't have what other women are going through. And probably a lot of women listening to this podcast have kids and a husband that's working and trying to do everything. And spite of the fact that everything should be split 50-50, I think you just have to uh, push yourself to keep doing it. And I, I also look at myself and realize how lucky I am to be where I'm at and don't take anything for granted and just keep pushing the envelope. I, I do have to say I am addicted to spider solitaire. So at night when I finally get a chance to like break down, I do nothing. I don't read a book. I don't turn on the TV and I play it for a half an hour and it's almost like my meditation. I got to try that. (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't. It can be addictive. Uh, I need something addictive right now, especially at night. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... 
Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So I want to touch on, you know, you've been doing some incredible work with your grants. Um, I know you've been giving donations and grants out once, one a month since COVID started. Will you talk to me about that? Sure. Uh, so Michael and I co-founded our foundation 15 years ago. And we wanted to support organizations that push for gender equality and education. We wanted to focus on organizations that that related our customers we could relate to. So we funded millions of dollars, a lot of different organizations, a lot of grassroots organizations. And so it's been something we have been doing. And when COVID hit, I said, we have to do something positive. And since we do look for grassroots organizations, the ones that aren't really in the news and for people to know about, we uh, went to organizations that I kind of knew about and we created $10,000 grants every month and uh, March, we were. I heard about the restaurant workers. They all were getting furloughed. And so this gave them grant money. And April, because we've been involved for years with gender-based violence work and working with survivors, was an organization called Free From that empowered domestic survivors. And um, we know that's really a problem right now, so many people staying home. And we supported Justice for Migrant Women that supports farm workers at risk and working without adequate PPE and healthcare. And then I met this wonderful man named Reverend William Barber, who was working on the Poor People's Campaign that addresses underlying issues of equality. And so every month we continue to do things and we'll be doing so until the end of the year. And it's what I really love about this is the community of people that work as influencers for Michael Stars, that, you know, I really don't pay any influencers, but they're people that love our brand and what we're doing that are excited about it. And then the community of my consumers are so excited and they get to learn. So I realized for me, Michael Stars isn't just a brand to sell and make a profit. It's about building information for people and promoting social justice. And in the end, equality and equity for all of us. So, I mean, I, I see all the time, I get a little clips on on uh, Instagram. Some of the influencers are so excited about the fact that we do this kind of work. And then I have people saying, what book are you reading? So uh, I think that we're definitely having an impact. And it's important for us to have that mission. And it's important for any young entrepreneur and any young company to have that mission, to know what you want to believe in, to know you believe in something specific, figure out what it is, and then work around it because your customers want to know that you're doing something. They totally know you want, to, you want to do something. And I love that you've been so philanthropic and and you don't have to give me exact numbers, but I think one of the things that so many companies struggle with is, you know, margin, right? So 
people want to give back, they want to do something, but did you build a healthy margin into your, into your, you know, production and sales so that you could do that? Or how did you structure that? Cause it can be overwhelming for people who don't know how to do it. We didn't, we worked on margins that were fairly healthy, contemporary margins, but we didn't do a lot of business with big department stores that require you to really work with much bigger margins. And then we did well. And so we were the type of people, we kept our offices small. We didn't drive fancy cars and and buy a super expensive house. And so we actually saved money. And so we could put it back in. And when we started, we didn't put a lot of money into the foundation. We did what we could. And as we built up that stockpile of money, we were able to give more and more. But like, for instance, the masks, everybody is doing, buy one, give one. Buy three, we give two. And I said, you know what? I'm just giving masks. And then I'm going to sell masks. And I'm going to make a profit on my masks and my, my wholesale, my department store, I mean, the, the small stores that I sell to can also have them. And then I can give away thousands of masks. And that's what we should do. We, we, it's okay to make a profit, but it's even better to, to give away. So yeah, you just have to figure out how much you can afford to give. And if it's a little, it's a little, and it's still great. You don't have to give away a million dollars for it to be important to someone. Yeah. So I'd love to hear, you know, do you have a value set of how you live your life or a guiding sort of bit of rules? No, I've always worn my values on my sleeve. And Michael and I never thought of social impact and business as separate things. It was always the same. You know, we always wanted to make people happy, which I think coming, coming back to thinking about like a t-shirt or a piece of clothing, it makes people happy. I used to feel guilty about clothing, but what I try to do is I have this Trinity. So it's my business. It's the philanthropy of what I give away. And that's also part of my activism. And then my investment portfolio. So about three years ago, I knew that what I was investing in and my mutual funds were filled with companies that probably didn't have my values, but I didn't know what to do. So I started carefully looking at them and I had somebody help me and we went through every mutual fund, every company and saw what they really were about and what they supported and funded. And we pulled out of anything that didn't fit with what I felt to be who I was and my values. So now I'm totally into social responsible investing, gender lens investing, racial women of color focused. And I'm so proud that I can actually look at what I do and know that I'm making a difference in every aspect of my life, not just my business and not just philanthropy. And just want people to remember that the stock market is a tricky place. And you want to make sure that your values are in your investments. I love it. It's so smart. It's it's so easy to just pick a, you know, put your money with a financial advisor and hope they get it right. But you're right. You have to be so much more responsible than that. Hey, Rebecca, I, I you know, kind of your fund and I, I had Accenture. Now you think Accenture. Oh, there's nothing wrong with Accenture. Do you know that they, ha- that I hired them to do work for them? So like, well, that means it's kids at the border. Right, right. So it is very difficult to keep up with the two, let me tell you. All of a sudden I turn around, there's somebody else that's doing something that involved with somebody or involved with arms and things that just I don't agree with. And it's really hard to keep up with it. So I, um, I have a really uh, aligned impact, Jennifer Kenning. She's, she's, really, she's really phenomenal. So what's next for the company? What are you excited? I know you, you touched on Gloria Steinem. Do you want to talk more about how that's working and how it came about? Well, uh, Gloria is a Michael Starr's lover and has been for many years. And when I first met her about seven years ago, 
she was so excited when she got my card and I was excited to meet her and I was laughing, you know, it's t-shirt. It's kind of funny. I think Rebecca, you probably feel the same thing when somebody meets you and like that handbag, my God, you're Rebecca. And it's, and it's fun and it's exciting to have that. Uh, well, we, so I sit on a, uh, the Miss Foundation board she founded and we sit on boards of the ERA coalition together and um, a call to men. And we've been talking for like the last year, we wanted to collaborate together. So in December, we decided we really wanted to work on registering women to vote. And for us, women of color and grassroots-led organizations were primarily in our mindset of where we wanted to go and what we funded. So we came up with this plan and we found the three organizations, which is Black Voters Matter, Voter Latino, and March On. And we came up with this whole campaign. We put together a little embroidered Gloria with her aviator glasses and the word vote on t-shirts. We created scrunchies, which then turned into masks. And the two of us taped on March 13th in New York City. We were only high-fiving like air-fiving. And uh, the, the three women founders of the organizations did not fly in because it was at that point they were going to shut down the city. So we did this video for the day, powered through it, and went back to our homes. And then we couldn't really do anything. I mean, the epidemic had hit, the pandemic had hit. So we waited. And then George Floyd and this whole uprising came about and we waited and we decided in summer it was the time people were aware people wanted to know people wanted to vote and uh, we felt very strongly that this is the, the perfect time to do it in July so what's great about our campaigns is it's my friends my network Gloria's friends activists politicians influencers all wanting to do it because they want to make a difference and it's being inclusive it's not just about what I want as Michael Starrs and promoting my brand. It's about promoting these women and making a difference. I love it. I think, you know, you're clearly your passion for women, your passion for equality and those who, you know, need a ladder extended down to them supersedes, I think, if I might say, you know, your, you know, t-shirts seem to be, uh, and clothing seem to be fueling this passion to do more. And I feel like that's so synergistic with, you know, my brand, which if I, spend, you know, more time helping out others, I, I feel much more satisfied about my life. So um, there's two questions that I love to ask all my guests. Maybe you've listened, maybe you don't know, but I would love to know something we might be surprised to know about you. Um, some people like to tell embarrassing stories or hobbies or just like things that you're just like, what? I would never think that she'd play spider fault solitaire. And then the second question being, you know, either advice that you have hard won learned yourself and want to pass on to another woman listening or something that someone gave to you that has been really valuable that you want to pass on? Okay. So I guess the surprise would be people probably don't know I dropped out of college, that my parents freaked out, but it was, I wasn't meant for being in school. I wasn't meant to be a doctor, an attorney, or a lawyer. I knew there was something else out there. And so I spent five years traveling around the world, working my way around the world and ended up in India. And I don't know. I got involved in the clothing company. So that's probably surprising for most people because they probably thought I'd take the traditional route, which I didn't. And uh, I just feel like people should know you can really run your company from a standpoint of empathy, compassion, kindness, integrity. You can be successful doing that. 
When I first started in the industry, I it was run primarily by white men and I couldn't get anywhere. And I had to fight my way up and, and I became an entrepreneur because I couldn't get a job in that regular place where I needed to go, where I wanted to achieve and, you know, become a vice president somewhere. And one of my, one of the jobs was, is he, that I was working in, he was doing something illegally, the owner, and I kind of was a whistleblower. And I realized I needed to do that because otherwise I would have been the person that didn't have the integrity. And so I quit the job and I started my own company. So people should remember that. And if you can't get that seat at the table, you just have to go and get your own seat. And basically build it yourself. And don't be and don't be scared to do it. I love it. I feel like we could trade notes all day long because I didn't go to college either. No? Uh, no, I didn't. Uh, I, you know, my parents said, if you want to go, that's fine. You know, you'll have to pay for it. And I went on one college tour and then I was like, this doesn't feel right to me. I got to go to New York and I got to start working. So I, I totally feel oh. like, yeah. We do have a lot in common. Well, we need to have that time together that we kept saying, trying to do for a year. I know. Well, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much. And thank you for dealing with our tech curse, but I think we broke it. So I hope so. Thank you so much, Rebecca. It was really wonderful speaking to you. That was Suzanne Lerner on Superwoman. To find out more about her and the work she's doing, head to Michael Stars and check out what the foundation is up to with regards to investing in women and so many of the grants they continue to give out. 